This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. More than a month into his first term as Chicago's mayor, and Brandon Johnson has a lot on his plate. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. From summer violence that left 11 people dead over the weekend, to the pressing housing need for thousands of asylum seekers who arrived in Chicago over the past year, our new mayor was handed plenty to do. We're awfully aware of what I've inherited. And what, we, what I've inherited has been systems of failures. Also on his plate, summer events like the NASCAR street race next month and the city's first casino. So how has the new mayor's first month or so in office been going so far? We're checking with Mariah Wolfel, city politics reporter for WBEZ, and Tessa Weinberg, WBEZ city government and politics reporter. All right, let's start with the news from the holiday weekend, Mariah. 11 people were killed and at least 63 others were shot during four mass shootings. What has the Johnson administration said about that? Well, I think the clip at the front kind of did a good job of encapsulating it. He said that, you know, he knew what he inherited when he became mayor. And what he inherited is, you know, a long-standing problem in Chicago, decades of unacceptable gun violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he said it on the campaign trail, and I've said it in analysis you know, several times that no mayor is going to solve this in four years or in a month. Um, He says he's looking for non-policing solutions. We're going to see what he brings out in his first year as mayor and his first budget proposal, because Mm -hmm. a lot of his, um, you know, solutions to violence have been, I want to invest in people and give them alternate routes to violence, um, you know, i.e. jobs. And so summer jobs, for instance, is a big part of that plan, um, which we could talk about more of. But that's that's, I think, one thing that he's really trying to work hard on right now is getting young people hired um, for the next few months. Uh, you know, obviously, we know that violence spikes in the summer. And so yeah. that's that's kind of what he said, in addition to, you know, acknowledging how tragic uh, these spikes are um, on holiday weekends and mm-hmm. during hot months. Right. Speaking of holiday weekends, I mean, it was just three weeks ago that we had another holiday weekend. I'm talking about Memorial Day weekend where we saw very similar violence. 59 people were shot then, 11 of them killed. So considering that, do we have any idea what precautions the administration put into place going into this holiday weekend? I think that um, similar, similar to traditional 
strategies that Mayor Lightfoot used as well, Mayor Rahm Emanuel canceling officers' days off, um, you know, focusing on hotspots, having peacekeepers as well mm-hmm. on different blocks. And, you know, we're going to probably see him rely on similar strategies in the upcoming Fourth of July weekend, although he will be dealing with a massive event in NASCAR that weekend where officers are going to have to attend to that as well. I think mm-hmm. um, he said that he's going to, you know, first focus on officers who are will volunteer to work their days off. And then um, also he'll limit days off for officers that weekend, too. Yeah. And I want to go back to something that uh, you shared just a moment ago, right? Because the mayor said that he plans to push forward a massive youth hiring program. This is his way of of, uh, preventing a lot of this kind of violence. So what else can you share about where he is with that plan? Because Summer vacations already here. It's underway. Yeah. So the city has, uh, you know, longstanding summer hiring program. It's called One Summer Chicago. That program starts next week. Um, that program has struggled to bounce back from pre-pandemic level to pre-pandemic levels. Um, you know, in 2019, around 31,000 kids were hired. Um, kids meaning young people, 14 to 24 years old. Right. Um, that was in 2019. And and. In the past few few years, the city has has only offered around twenty thousand opportunities, and for the past few years, supply has demand has outweighed supply mm-hmm. by twofold, more than twofold, and that's the same case this year. It seems the city, um, you know, a week or so ago, told me they had so far forty four thousand applications for what they said at the time were only about twenty thousand opportunities. But I think Johnson is trying to identify. Um, and and get more corporations to be involved in hiring youth because these are these yeah. are city supported summer jobs so that means you know people working kids working as lifeguards or working with the CTA um, working with Chicago Public Schools uh, Lincoln Park Zoo I think is a partner but then they also like to rely on corporations to sponsor kids and you know pay take this take the financial burden off the city and so i think that's what johnson has been working on and you know we might hear something about that soon but the program that will hire around twenty thousand kids at least starts next week and we'll get final numbers when that kind of gets underway yeah tessa let's uh bring you in now and turn to another big issue that is on johnson's plate that's the growing need for shelter and housing for the ten thousand asylum seekers who have come to the city just in the past 10 months or so. Uh, You checked in with some asylum seekers. You were talking to them about their long wait for rental assistance here in Chicago. So what did they tell you? Yeah. So the um, couple that I had um, spoken with, I, you know, tagged along as they were literally moving in for the first day into their new basement apartment. Um, They had been in city shelters since the fall. um, And that was something that the city has said, you know, they're prioritizing, you know, rental assistance for folks who have been in city shelters the longest, which right now means people have been in this shelters for, you know, eight months plus, um, which is a long time. And so, you know, they had said that being in the shelters wasn't easy, but that they were so grateful to now have a place of their own. And while it's, you know, a bright spot, I think there's still a lot of, you know, uncertainty that folks feel around next steps about, you know, waiting for a work permit, wanting to see about what happens to their asylum case, you know, hoping that one day they can, you know, maybe bring children and family along and reunite with them. Um, And that was something that I think uh, came across with um, one of the asylum seekers who we had spoken with that day. You know, she was so, you know, adamant that, you know, what she's most looking forward to is to get to work. And that that is what, you know, she sees as kind of her next step. Yeah. And that 
couple that you were initially talking about. That's Joseph and Jean Martin, yes. right? Mm-hmm. How long did they wait for an apartment? Yeah, so they um, had arrived um, at separate times um, to the city, but in October and September. And so they've been in city shelter since then. They did say once they were, um, you know, made eligible to apply, you know, it happened relatively quickly, you know, within 15 days, hearing about apartment. So um, it seems like, you know, once you're able to maybe kind of become eligible and apply, it's a, it's a quicker process. But that supply of housing, willing landlords, you know, overstretched nonprofits, all those factors, you know, coming together to make it, you know, just be a really, really long wait and not enough housing for the just immense need. Yeah, let's dig more into that that process, uh, if you will, especially the, the landlord piece of it, right? I mean, they're needing to, to make some sort of exceptions here, I mm-hmm. guess, because they often need to, for instance, overlook a lack of a credit score mm-hmm. um, and, and a rental history. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, what else are they doing? They're taking on this risk to to agree to these leases um, for, for these tenants uh, whose income may not quite be secure. Right. Definitely. So the rental assistance, um, it's up to six months in total and it's being administered by the state right now. There's some different city and federal funding that the state's putting towards it. But six months, um, while that's really a lifeline for folks, the time it takes to get approved to legally work in the U.S., you know, some of the um, advocates I spoke spoke to said that's not going to really cover it, that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you cannot apply for a work permit until 150 days after you've submitted your application seeking asylum. And then, you know, in best case scenario, maybe you get your work permit 30 days after that. But there's often delays, a backlogged immigration system. Mm -hmm. And so often they said optimistically, you might be waiting nine months to a year to be legally authorized to work. And so you're having to maybe get by with side jobs. Um, And so the six months is, you know, not necessarily maybe covering it for what they need. And landlords are having to. Yeah, these are folks who maybe don't. You're not going to have a credit score to look up or a lengthy rental history. Right. So, yeah, advocates said, though, they were amazed by I was trying to wrap my head around that, too. Like, how yeah. is that part going to work? Yeah, yeah. And so they've said it's a lot of landlords who have, um, you know, maybe are immigrants themselves or who some of these uh, agencies doing the work are mm-hmm. refugee resettlement agencies. And so, you know, folks who have, you know, are, you There's know. There's some empathy there. Yeah, some, some experience already. And so um, they've said, too, it can maybe be harder to find big property management companies willing to overlook those things. But when it comes to private landlords, they've had more success there, but that they're in the need for for more landlords willing to step up. So, Mariah, let's jump to another item on his plate here. Um, he inherited the plan for the city's first casino, right? And we now know the Illinois Gaming Board gave the initial green light to house Bally's temporary casino at Medina Temple. Not a final yes, right? But what are the challenges that uh, he's going to face next in getting this temporary casino location actually approved? Well, better for better or worse for Johnson, the fate of the temporary casino really lies within the Illinois Gaming Board. The Chicago City Council um, has no more say in whether the casino comes to Chicago. They've already done that heavy lifting under Mayor Lori Lightfoot in a in a very um, expedited process that Lightfoot kind of designed. Um, Johnson has one more stamp of approval, or at least a cabinet member of his does, um, and that is to award the temporary casino an amusement permit. Um, That, you know, I wouldn't call it a formality, but, you know, that that doesn't need city council approval. So that could just be approved by the Business Affairs and Consumer Protection Mm -hmm. Commissioner, who Johnson, you know, is responsible for appointing. And so that's the last hoop that it needs to jump on the city side. 
but in order for the Medina Temple to open, the Illinois Gaming Board has to approve it for a temporary permit. Um, it got a really good big green light last week, as you said, but um, still needs to do a practice gaming session in front of the board and get that you know official permit after a more thorough application process. The alderman whose ward the temporary casino will be in, Alderman Brendan Riley, strongly opposes the project. He thinks it's a terrible location. He thinks it's going to lead to public safety and traffic congestion and public safety concerns. And he's kind of urging Mayor Johnson to really think about awarding this amusement permit. But um, Johnson does support the casino project. He thinks it's a, you know, good way to bring in extra funding for the city's severely underfunded pensions. And it's another alternative to raising property taxes, which Johnson has committed to not doing. And so he is in general support of the casino project. How's the hiring looking so far, Tessa? Because I I remember the talk about uh, committing to hiring a diverse staff. Mm -hmm. That's from Bally's. Yeah, you know, last week they said the Tempered Casino is going to bring in, you know, more than 500 positions. But a spokeswoman had told uh, Crane Chicago Business that as of last week, they hadn't, you know, hired anyone yet. Um, But they've committed to 60% of those hires being, you know, minorities, 45% women, 5% veterans, 5% people with disabilities. Um, And so they have jobs, you know, available online right now. And it's everything from, you know, tables, game dealers to, you know, um, folks, staff in the place. And every one of those employees, though, is still going to have to go through Mm. their own approval process, have to get licensed by the gaming board. So there's still some, you know, you know, next steps, just even in terms of being able to bring folks on board and have the safe, have the place staffs to be able to open up their doors. So, another issue on the administration's plate here: the the pension crisis. Now, we don't have a ton of time, but I do want to get through a couple of points here. Mariah, he said he hopes to tackle the city's underfunded pensions early in his term. So, so far, what's he done? So he created this working group um, to examine solutions to the city's pension crisis. And, you know, spoiler alert, the solution is more money, which is the biggest problem that he's going to face is finding money to pay for severely underfunded pensions. He wants to get the casino up and running as soon as possible because that will help towards that. Um, But, yeah, we're going to we're going to, you know, watch what this working group comes up with and also watch his, you know, budget um, forecast that's going to come out later this Mm -hmm. summer and his plans for you know, whether he wants to make advance payments to the pension crisis like Lightfoot had done in her last year, or if he'll do away with that program and come up with, you know, his his own Johnson stamped solution. Yeah, which I think he might. Uh, he promised he wouldn't raise property taxes as a solution, Tessa, for, for this uh, underfunded pension. So are officials still optimistic that he can keep it that way? He can keep that promise? I think we'll have to see. You know, the Civic Federation, they put out a report recently about, you know, these are the biggest financial challenges facing the city, the new city council and Johnson, Mayor Johnson. And they noted, you know, that it Raising property taxes, you know, shouldn't be ruled out as Mm -hmm. a stable source of revenue. They suggested maybe the city has capacity to increase residential property taxes, you know, without losing its competitive edge, but also noted, you know, there's there's a cost and people feel that burden. Um, So I think we'll have to see what solutions they put forward. What else are you paying attention to as, as Johnson wraps up his first month in office? Yeah, I think I'll be looking for, um, you know, his transition committees. They're scheduled to release a report about, you know, all these different priorities he put forward on the campaign trail. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm curious to see 
what they will propose as next steps and some of those solutions. Um, and yeah, just kind of keeping track of the the promises he's made and starting to tick through those on things like mental health clinics and, and other issues. What about you, Mariah? Yeah, second that. And, you know, Johnson's only appointed a few of his cabinet level member, cabinet level members. Mm-hmm. And so going to look out for, you know, who he wants to fill CDPH and, you know, aviation department and right. CTA and all of those really important positions you've heard a ton about in the past year. Um, still a lot of, you know, Lightfoot era appointees who may stay on, um, but um, looking out for that. Well, we shall see. Mariah Wolfel is a city politics reporter and Tessa Weinberg, city government and politics reporter, both for WBEZ. Thank you for joining us. This episode of Reset was produced by Brenda Ruiz and it was edited by Andrew Merriweather and Meha Ahmed. Stay up to date on the latest from the new Johnson administration by subscribing to the Reset podcast. We share the biggest news affecting our city and state Monday through Friday with a bonus episode with something fun on Saturdays. That'll do it for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Join us tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.